Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Busiest day of the year for Danny and me. We've got about 13 hours worth of basketball to discuss five games on Christmas. We will discuss all of them, but I think we need to start with the Battle of LA. Lakers and Clippers. I did the third and fourth quarters of this for the NBA cast. We did not watch it together. So Danny, curious to hear uh, some of your overarching thoughts on this one. Considering how especially in the first half to me I mean considering he was good in the third quarter how limited LeBron looked at moments in time during this one I I actually think despite them losing I would actually feel pretty good as the Lakers I thought that while it was not a perfect performance from them it was so much better than opening night as well so you know the Clippers pulled it out and I I thought they were the deserving victors but the Lakers having that 15 point lead playing a lot better defending the Clippers better I thought that was important too I'm of two minds on this one 12 of 45 three-point shooting that's a lot of three-pointers to get up you expect to shoot better than 27 percent in the long term I thought defensively they did some pretty good things Paul George didn't really do much in this game the Clippers for a lot of this game really were not moving the ball very well didn't appear to have great solutions other than Kawhi ball so you feel like the Lakers play pretty well, but I come away from this really worried about this matchup for them against the Clippers. And yes, LeBron did get need in the groin, trying to take a charge, by the way, fix the charge by Patrick Beverly. It wasn't right in the groin, but in the groin muscle area. And so he, he said after the game that he was kind of struggling to where he was before he missed that game against Denver. Both he and AD were kind of questionable for this one. So maybe they weren't at full health. But we also saw the first game of the season when LeBron really just could not get going against these guys and you look at the 12 out of 45 three-point shooting well two out of 12 of that is LeBron and that's pretty much all off the drill he did have one period where he got going uh, hit I think it was four or five straight jump shots but other than that was really shut down in this game with 23 points on 26 shooting possession only got to the foul line four times and yeah you could say it's health related but I also saw this from him in that first game now that game they were trying to feed AD in the post it was their first game together again there are excuses for the Lakers I'm not saying they can't play better than this um and then you also just throw in something that I talked about with Seth Partno in the old man shakes fists at cloud segment last week that their crunch time offense really does not look good to me at all. Yeah, and that's the part of this that I think is the is the real story. And this will come up in a different game that, that we'll talk about of a concern that feeds into something we've talked about before. And for me, it's it's not a personnel necessarily issue, though there it was a reminder that they kind of have to play guys like Rondo because they don't necessarily have logical fits other than LeBron AD and Danny Green. But it was unimaginative. It was 
lackluster, and ineffective. The Clippers completely stifled whatever the hell it was that the Lakers were ostensibly trying to do. Yeah, I mean, they were really stifling themselves. Um, You saw the Lakers kind of shifting between identities in this game as well. Uh, But getting back to the end, we'll, we'll talk more about the rotations in a little bit. But getting back to the end, I mean, obviously that play with down three with like 20 seconds left when they just meandered about and then LeBron got stripped by Beverly and it was ruled out of bounds off of LeBron. We, we've talked about that before, how we'd like to see that rule change um, to be something more akin to the way it's called the other 46 minutes of the game. But they just didn't have anything going. Vogel definitely should have taken a timeout. They had two left at some point. I mean, I think he wants to trust LeBron, but they had nothing going. I mean, they really needed to get set up uh, into a play at, at that point. Um, well, well, and, and yeah. a, a broader scale thing to mention here, I'm sure there will be some that reply, and there's a there's moment of validity to this, the Lakers are 12-4 and four in clutch games. They have a, a plus 12, basically, net rating in those within five, within five situations. But that's because their defense has been sparkling right. in those minutes. Their offense is at a, basically a 101 offensive rating, which is awful. And there are some missed shots in that. There were some in this game as well, where it's like, yeah, they created a few good looks that didn't go down. And in 62 minutes, you will see the make or miss league stuff filter in a little bit more. But the process parts of it for me were more concerning for the Lakers. You know, there were times where AD was getting the ball in the post, but there wasn't really anything else going on. That, as you brought up, the LeBron possession that ended with the Patrick Beverly block deflection out of bounds off LeBron. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, You already alluded to it. We don't need to dwell. But for me, it's the process element of it because some shots will go in and won't. And I just don't, a lot of times I don't understand what the Lakers want to do. It's not that they got stalled out by the other team. It's that they weren't really trying to do anything. Yeah, and LeBron, you know, he's controlled every aspect of of their clutch games uh, for whatever team he's been on for a long time. But, you know, he doesn't quite have the ability anymore, I don't think, especially against this Clippers team with some of the defenders that they have to just hold the ball forever, take a step back to his left and make it in clutch time. Or, you know, I at least would like to see him in the post or just move the ball from side to side. I mean, I don't mind putting it in LeBron's hands, but just letting him dribble around for 20 seconds just doesn't work for these guys. And then I think your other problem here in terms of a structural matchup with the Lakers and Clippers is that they once again proved that they have absolutely nobody to slow down Kawhi Leonard yeah and and of course that's another that's another big question moving forward I mean if these two teams face off in the playoffs it feels like a a very likely Western Conference Finals depending on how the seating shakes out and Leonard 35 points 11 of 19 from the field 5 of 7 but you also have that drum beat in in clutch time but also just kind of throughout the game that when Kawhi had the ball there wasn't a whole lot they could do to slow him down yeah because uh, we you know Danny Green I think has the best chance against him LeBron just doesn't have the energy to guard Kawhi throughout the full game and, and he got in foul trouble early he got the injury I think they started with that actually as the base matchup be interested to see if uh, when LeBron is healthier they go to that a little more but you know I'm not sure LeBron is going to be getting over a screen for 40 minutes a game against Kawhi and pick and roll and Kawhi has really improved as a pick and roll player this season and Kawhi's not going to go five or seven from three every game but he's capable of doing that when he's open and so Danny Green has a chance KCP again proved in the second quarter that he just has no chance Kawhi will just back him down and score over him in the post uh, with that fade away from 12 feet Avery Bradley started this game it really gave them absolutely nothing uh, I think whenever he sees Clippers whether he's in the uniform or he's looking at the uniform uh, he's gonna play terrible remember how bad he was for the Clippers last year so it, that's a major problem and you know if they got Andre Iguodala on this team somehow 
somehow in a buyout, they might feel a lot better about their ability to defend Kawhi. Now, they did shut down Paul George a little bit. You know, I think George really wasn't featured that much in the offense. Didn't shoot it well at only 5 out of 18. Um, And I do think the Clips also, in terms of their defensive rebounding, has some weaknesses. They ended up having more offensive board than the Lakers. But throughout a lot of the game, the Lakers were pretty big. Uh, They struggled with the Lakers' size for a lot of the game, too. At one point, they were 9 out of 19 at the rim and JaVale McGee had five block shots uh, um but that gets me to this next question Danny which is how are the Lakers going to play what is their lineup going to be is it going to be Kuzma with AD at center is it going to be Rondo with AD at center or is it going to be Dwight or JaVale at the end of games? To me, the biggest hope for the Lakers has to be that they can find, I would say it's a perimeter player that can fit there. Rondo just... You mean someone who's not on the team right now? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that would be the the best solution. Kuzma's limitations defensively, but he was spectacular during that stretch in the first half where he had 15 yeah. points and was just, just drilling shots, had that, had that, not, I don't think it was quite a buzzer beater, but had that shot at the end of the first that was impressive. And so offensively, he can be part of that. But then defensively, I think he leaves something to be desired. And Kuzma, you know, he this was one of his best performances of the season. But he hasn't been like that night in, night out. And Rondo, this Rondo takes so much off the table defensively that I think that's a big problem. And so you brought this came up a little bit on your solo live show that the Lakers have a big problem because they ideally would have another ball handler, even though LeBron is going to be dominating it in crunch time. But the other definitive things that that player has to do theoretically is they have to be able to hit open shots and they have to be able to defend at least competently. And the amount of players who are available, whatever they're... Drew Drew Holiday is not available, right? Yeah, exactly. Like (laughs) the amount of players who fit that, who are available at all to the Lakers, given their assets in terms of draft picks and also salary filler are basically non-existent unless they can get that player via buyout. And so it's tough and they might even need to be a game by game thing. I mean, KCP has his moments, but then he also, I mean, that, that chase down block today was absolutely insane, but then his jump shot is, is not necessarily the most reliable. His defense hasn't been to me at the level that it was early in his career when you and I were a little bit higher on him. Well, I think he's, he's fine against small guards. It's just that he uh, doesn't have the size to deal with Kawhi. Right. And so, and, and, and they, they need as many guys as they can get in that series. So yeah, it's, it's a big challenge and I don't think they have that fifth player, maybe not even a fourth on their roster right now. Now. And if I had to pick somebody, I God, it might be Kuz, it's, it might be Kuzma or KCP, maybe Jared Dudley. I mean, if if yeah. he can be healthy and, and be well, there, yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's uh, right. realistically an option at this point. I mean, so you you wouldn't consider going with uh, one of the centers? I'd consider it, but I just think it makes them it makes them so much easier to defend. And remember that Kawhi is not trying to get all the way to the basket. So those the 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 deterrence and all that that those guys can do and they can't defend Kawhi either. I don't think it matters as much against Leonard as it would certain other players. That's actually something we've talked about with Kyrie at moments where if Kyrie's not trying to get all the way basket, sometimes having that rim protector there isn't as valuable. The other thing we saw the Clippers do was go to a lineup with Kawhi at the four. We haven't seen a ton of that. Harrell at the five, Lou Williams, Beverly, and then George at the three, Kawhi at the four. And I thought that worked pretty well. I mean, another thing you can point to as the Lakers is they just had a series of incredibly dumb fouls. That is what enabled the Clippers to surge into the lead. I think it was three possessions in a row where first was Lou Williams smoking the layup. And, and he said on Twitter later that uh, he AD bailed him out uh, after he just missed the layup in transition. And then AD got a hand on his butt. And of course, Lou just has this preternatural ability to flop whenever he feels any kind of contact. And 
Another play with Danny Green pressuring Kawhi out on the floor. Another play, uh, I forget who it was on the baseline. Basically three unnecessary fouls to give them six points, uh, which were gave them a lead that they wouldn't relinquish. So I'm not saying that the Lakers are sunk by any means, but I think you have to feel that uh, the Clippers uh, had the advantage in this matchup as of now. And I also feel like the Clippers, when it comes down to like who's going to benefit more from additional synergy and experience together, I think the Clippers have that advantage also. Well, and they have a greater capacity to improve their roster by having that first round pick and having yeah. more salary fillers. So there, there's more th- now. If a piece like Iguodala hits the buyout market and prefers the Lakers to the Clippers, then that changes it. But we don't know that for sure at this moment. And also for me, I mean, there's an interesting question about as playoff rotations tighten. Now you can make an argument in theoretically that the Lakers, you know, they have these, these top heavy team. We don't trust all their bench guys. But their overall coalescing doesn't, to me, help them as much as the Clippers because I like the Clippers' overall top end better than the Lakers. And also, like, look at this game. AD, LeBron, 39 minutes, 39 minutes. They can go up into, like, the 41-42 range, but there isn't as much upward mobility for them. And then there there aren't necessarily, I mean, maybe Danny Green's in less foul trouble and things like that. But I, I, like, the, I like the way the Clippers' rotation coalesces better than the Lakers. Yeah, I'm not saying this is going to be a sweep or something. I mean, there are definitely no, no, advantages. No, 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 no. But, but, I mean... I'll get back to where I started. LeBron just has to be better in this matchup. Otherwise, they don't have a chance. Well, and that's something you brought up, I think, on Twitter in the early portion of the game, that this is two games now where LeBron hasn't been able to really beast on Montrezl Harrell, which is something you and I both thought would be a big deficiency that, you know, the center position against, especially against this Lakers group with LeBron and AD. And it's still a long way from the, I would assume these teams will play in late May, early June, but there are two points, points in, of, of, data you know you, you get the you get those factoring in and i still think the clippers should be looking at that just just because it's happened to work out reasonably well twice does not mean it will at that point when lebron's at playoff intensity even though that will be after his 35th birthday but i mean it's important yeah last thing on this i i thought that we would see both of these teams going after the smaller guards on the other team and pick and roll particularly lou williams and I mean, that to me is just LeBron going at Lou Williams, man, setting a screen like the Clippers are going to double team that like, you can get them into rotation and get a good look out of that. I don't know why. I mean, LeBron used to do that. The Lakers don't have the same spacing that some of his Cleveland teams did, but that was just something they would go to late in games that they're just, you know, teams didn't have an answer for. Uh, okay, take a quick break here and then we will get to Bucks and Six. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us all right danny after watching this game we did it for the nba cast one through ten if you're the milwaukee bucks what is your level of concern for this matchup against philly in the playoffs as of right now in many ways my, my heart is saying it should be more around like a five or a six because i still think the bucks are the better team but to me the most important takeaway from the five game slate on christmas day is if joel Embiid can play like this then that ratchets up to like an eight eight or a nine because Embiid specifically I mean yeah while Kawhi Leonard did the best job on Giannis last year he vexes Giannis in ways that I don't think can be remedied without a Giannis jump shot you know like he Giannis justifiably when Joel Embiid is standing there in the paint he's not thinking the same way that he is when Tobias Harris is standing there or even to a moment Al Horford and Horford has done a nice job on Giannis over the years Embiid is a massive human being a very talented defender and well, yeah, we will talk about his scoring and all that. He, he, his defense was what was the, the earthquake here. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best games that anybody has played all season, and he did it in only 28 minutes. Did have five fouls, a couple of stupid ones uh, in the second half that uh, really that enabled. Well, all, also a bona fide terrible call. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the, the play where he pulled the chair on him in transition. But yeah, I mean, this is Giannis, his last game against the Lakers, uh, hit the head, the three-pointer working. He uh, put the fake crown on his head, and then he was 0 for 7 from 3, only shot four free throws, 18 points, 8 of 27 overall. So he's still 8 out of 20 from 2 and not getting to the foul line, and 7 assists. It, of his first six shots, five were jumpers, and it really didn't get any better from there. The only way he was really able to create spaces with that borderline illegal 
forearm into the gut of Embiid as he's driving to knock him backwards uh which you know Embiid might want to learn to flop on that one a little bit because that's supposed to be a point of education this year and he was huge and remember last time even you know Giannis had huge games against the Sixers but a lot of that was done when Embiid was out of the game and I think Mike Budenholzer might want to really think about rejiggering his rotation much as Toronto did with Marcus Gasol and Joel Embiid last year I think you want to have Brooke Lopez matched up with Embiid and you want to I think he did this a little in the second half try to get Giannis away from Embiid since uh, his rotation is going to be very predictable with Brett Brown going out at about the seven minute mark coming back at the three minute mark and then getting another break in the second quarter because Giannis really couldn't do anything with him now if Giannis hits a few threes is that going to change things I really thought that his missed threes or the many of which were not close dispirited the box by the third where they just really he would miss threes and they just were not going after defensive rebounds they, they really were hanging their heads they made it respectable late with some great shooting from Middleton but you know overall this is a total blowout 25 point game after the third they outscored him 36 to 21 in a relatively meaningless fourth quarter um yeah I mean he I don't know that Giannis has the ability to score against Embiid if he's not hitting the jumper and because you really have to get Embiid out on the floor so he can use his quickness and drive by him if seven I guess he got reduced to seven foot now but it's still huge uh not seven two uh under the basket is just waiting for him there and he can't overpower him what's the next step didn't have a counter in this game and it's worth remembering at the very beginning we were we were doing the live show and talking about how it seemed like it was going to be a Joel Embiid versus Giannis Antetokounmpo jump shot battle and both guys were missing. Embiid was 0 for 2. I think Giannis at that point was 0 for 3. Embiid ended up 3 for 6. He hit a few. Horford hit a few yeah, in that. deep 3 for yeah, Embiid too. As well. And so you, you saw those dynamics coming into play. The Bucks are going to concede jump shots to big men. And the, the Sixers aren't going to hit them at the same rate that they did in this game. 21 to 44 overall as a team. But... Yeah, and they were like... I think they were like 17 to 31 at one point as well. Yeah, it was, so, really, it, was something cra- com- it was something crazy like that. Yeah, during the competitive portion of the game um they really uh put it on him yeah and and also remember like the, a few of the other bucks that are important to their success really not being a big factor in the competitive portion of this game so you you brought up Middleton I mean he put up a lot in the fourth 18 points on 7 to 14 in the first three quarters Brooke Lopez one for five in the first three quarters in 22 minutes he was really a non-factor offensively in this game and then defensively the the Sixers were getting those Embiid open threes and Horford when they were subbing out and so there I, you know the Sixers offensive part of this won't necessarily fare as well as it did before but some of the defensive things but I think the other lingering element here that we need to discuss and it's true that Eric Bledsoe not being a part of this game really did hurt the Bucks because he can be an answer and they did get I mean George Hill not missing a shot for the first I think it was three quarters of this game you know the I mean he was just just hitting any whether it was easier it was hard he was hitting it five of five from the field I believe to start out but the Bucks don't have that secondary creator, that 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 person that you can rely on, even if it's just like attacking a mismatch, running a pick and roll with Giannis, and that's the role that Malcolm Brogdon had. You know, I, I, it's true that Brogdon probably would not have, have blossomed the way that he has so far, at least statistically. But overall, I would say so in Indiana this year, had he stayed on the Bucks. But there are high leverage circumstances where you need a more varied attack, and I thought that in this game. 
exacerbated by by Budslow not playing as well that they really missed that from Brogdon yeah they don't really have a, another pick and roll player that's something where they came out in the second half and they decided okay well if Embiid is guarding Giannis we're gonna put Giannis as the screener in pick and roll and they got at least some okay shots there early on um so maybe they'll try to go to more of that but having a better pick and roll ball handler like Brogdon might have helped with that and you mentioned Middleton in the playoffs the last couple of years he's had some opportunities usually to get down in the post and feast on smaller players uh yeah there's nobody on that Philly roster <laughs> I mean Cork Maz was on fire obviously he, he pushed it back as the Bucks were trying to make a run in the third um and I don't expect Korkmaz to play a huge role when these teams actually match up in the playoffs. Uh, and that's someone that he could go after. But I mean, the, you know, they have one guy who's going to be playing that you can go after with Middleton. So well, and that, that kind of ties up with something I wanted to say on the other side of the floor, which is that while I don't love every player that's in the Sixers rotation, it is true that they don't have that many players that if you just basically leave them wide open from three, that either are reluctant or just straight out bad shooters. Ennis is inconsistent. He was zero for four from long distance in this one. Ben Simmons won't shoot a three. I mean, we know, we know that. But Horford, Embiid, Tobias Harris, J- Josh Richardson, Michael... Mike Scott, uh, Burke, Corkmaz, whether Hull Neto, you know, however, however they're going to run the, the that backup point guard, there there aren't really just straight up non shooters unless Thibel gets into those circumstances. And something else we learned yeah. from this game was that while you and I both love what 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 he can do, they can defend at a high level against the Bucks without him. Yeah. Now Philly's not going to play this well offensively. You mentioned oh, the yeah. three point shooting. Well, and the pull up twos. Yeah, yeah, that that was really good too. Uh, ben Simmons had an awesome game with 14 assists, really got their transition game going in, in those first couple. Milwaukee usually doesn't give up transition. They usually do better in transition themselves. If they have more misses to work with, they can get some more transition. Giannis can beat Embiid down the floor. Um, you know, I thought Embiid offensively was playing at a really high level. I mean, 31 points in 28 minutes, and he was really using his size to beast. And we mentioned he had the jump shot working. But uh, so, I mean, I think the Bucks can stop the Sixers. The Sixers are not going to put up, you know, a crazy offensive rating through three quarters on this Bucks team. But if they can slow down Giannis, like, then Giannis will shoot a little better. He'll play better. It won't be this bad. But clearly, I think the Sixers have shown that, you know, this is not going to be, oh, the Sixers are a 50-win team and the Bucks are a 65-win team. So this is just me a walkover in the playoffs. Uh-uh. Anything else you had on this one? Let me see if I had another couple of notes. Um, I really liked Embiid contesting Giannis's three and then running down and getting a deep post up on him to draw a foul early. Oh, uh, I have one more. Remember when Joel yeah. Embiid got got active and got effective from two was when Robin Lopez came in and he yeah. Robin Lopez limited post defender and B did really really well in those minutes and that's another reason why Budenholzer might want to square up Brooke and Joel Embiid is because he's far better than his twin brother at defending Embiid yeah and we talked about how Robin Lopez is not a good defender in the post even going back to uh, his series against Dwight Howard in 2014 he got torched uh Josh Richardson gave them just enough on those mid-rangers and his three-point shooting, he cooled off late, but uh, and he also was awesome with those uh, rear-view contests again. Uh, the Bucks went zone in the third quarter. Philly had struggled with that against Dallas and Miami. Uh, I think the only time the Bucks have played zone that I've seen before this was when Tim Frazier played 48 minutes against the Thunder on the last day of the season when they're just trying to not get guys injured. They played a 2-3 zone the whole night then. Uh, and Philly hits four threes right away. Uh, Korkmaz had three. He got fouled twice on three-pointers in this game. But I think that's about all I've got uh, on this one. Let's take another quick break and we can catch up on the rest of the day. 
Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, where do you want to go among the remaining three games here? Oh, uh, I, I don't think we need to dwell on it a ton, but let's go to the game that you and I both, in in some ways, chose not to attend. Uh, the Golden State. You mean you mean we that we just chose not to attend? <laughs> well, I was I, I I had some family stuff, so it would have been it would have yeah. been more complicated for me. But the Warriors, uh, 116-104 win over the Houston Rockets. And I, I, I think it, it was a, kind of a, an interesting game for a few different respects. I mean, the Warriors going going aggressively at attacking, you know, trapping everything with Harden, forcing the other players to beat them. I thought that was interesting. But for me also, from a process standpoint, those those who listened to the 15 and 60, I, I railed a little bit on the Pelicans defense not doing enough of the Goliath strategies against the Warriors who are the less talented team and that's even more significant against the Rockets obviously and I thought the Warriors were getting too many good looks on offense and I thought that was really what sank the Rockets more than some of their offensive labels because they could have won with that anyway yeah I think so I really pretty pathetic defense overall from Houston they didn't really seem to have a plan on pick and rolls you'd think that these Warriors don't have a ton of great one-on-one creators you just switch everything They weren't getting into guys aggressively enough and switching the way they did in their heyday, giving up just a lot of quick slips off the pick and roll, miscommunications. Uh, It really, to give up a buck 16 to this Warriors team, especially when they didn't even shoot it that well from three, they're just giving up a ton 
at the rim uh, against the Warriors and that's just like how are they getting there why are you not packing the paint I, I really just it was not a high level defensive game from the Rockets uh, well and, all. It, it, and not only that you, you talked about them getting to the paint well I'll give you some of the stats on that the Warriors 16 of 25 in the restricted area that's more shots in the restricted area than the Rockets had and they had more from floater range but also the Warriors with that advantage from the free throw line 25 to 28 they'd only missed one free throw until the last like minute of the game and that combination is really indefensible for the Rockets considering the massive talent advantage that they had against this Warriors team yeah I mean Draymond Green going 8 of 14 and he can't finish at the rim at all anymore unless there's nobody there like how many times did he fake a DHO or get in transition and just go right to the cup it really was extremely poor communication by the Rockets uh, to be sure uh and uh also Damian Lee I mean a 17-point second quarter he's really the one guy who is fulfilling the legacy of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson just with his the alacrity off the ball just how hard he cuts just his understanding you know Russell doesn't really have that and he's kind of too slow just running uh to work that off ball game um another yeah Russell is another one where they just were not contesting him well enough like he's not a good finisher and he went eight of nine from two in this game um so yeah i mean a lot of guys for the warriors really got off now they may be in trouble when uh kai bowman and damian lee run out of service days and they're too, like uh two of their eight best players won't be able to play because they can't convert them because of the hard cap um but for now they've looked much much better with those guys uh, available bowman has come back for these last two games uh he's played a lot more than jacob evans uh so i was uh uh, here's a question for the uh, the Warriors before we turn to some of the stuff with, that happened on the Rockets offensive end of the floor. I thought this is still kind of an important test. A big game crowd is into it to just get an idea of who can play against Houston. And we didn't get as much of a look at that because of the Warriors double teaming of Harden. And it wasn't as important of just, all right, who can actually hold up against this guy on a switch? You know, the strategy has changed because he's so good at that step back three now that they just want to take it out of his hands. Um, But who impressed you as far as like, all right, if the Warriors had to play the Rockets in a playoff series next year, this guy could actually hold up a little bit. I I don't know if he'll be on the team next year, but I thought GR3 did well. Yeah. Um, I thought that physically, I thought Bowman did better than I expected. And he actually could be a more likely warrior next year due to his un- unusual free agent situation. Yeah, with him being a, on a two-way, they'll be able to retain him, uh, you would think. I, I forget whether he's on a one-year or two-year to it because actually it could it could be possible that if he's a restricted free agent they wouldn't have the means to match on him just if he only have one year uh i guess he would be arenas limited in theory but still uh I mean, I don't see anybody coming after Kai Bowman. Um, yeah, I agree with what you said on GO3. You know, Kali Stein actually looked pretty good. He's looked better lately. Um, yeah, he, he was rough in the Pelicans game and then has been better largely outside of that one in the he, last few. He was plus 29 t- tonight. Uh, had some nice plays. Protecting the- he had four block shots. He's actually been blocking shots lately, which was a, a massive criticism of him up until like the last three, four weeks. And now he's had like a few three block games, four block game. Um and I thought actually another thing is that Draymond actually tried and he still looked pretty good. Like I think you could definitely question like 
the way he's looked and the team has looked is like okay is this guy done as a high level player but no it seems like when he re- when he wants to he can still bring it so that's that's important for the Warriors um should we talk about what happened when the Warriors or when the Rockets had the ball rather oh boy well I, I mean we should probably spend about half the time discussing Russell Westbrook since he took about half the shots yeah I mean Westbrook 11 of 32 from the field so he took almost twice as many shots as Harden though some of that was the the Warriors trying to force the ball out of Harden's hands but I mean what's going to linger with people and it should is that zero for eight from three and there were times when having the extra attention gave Westbrook and the ability to get downhill but something that was really concerning to me was even though he got downhill a fair amount that didn't convert into Rockets points as often as it needs to in order for that strategy when you consider that the Warriors personnel is not nearly as good as the teams Houston will face in the playoffs yeah and I mean this is a junk defense Westbrook has has succeeded in being aggressive as they beat the Clippers uh, just last week against uh, some pretty similar strategies uh, at times but he actually was hitting a few jump shots uh, and did not do that in this game at least his free throws are falling again now like he's not shooting 60 percent from the foul line like he was last year um so he finally seems to have gotten into routine he was eight of eight in this game so that helps a little bit but he was two of nine in the first five minutes of the game and now will it look better for houston with eric gordon out there hopefully a healthy eric gordon who number one is just a more reliable spot up shooter i mean that's kind of a little part of the problem here is and you know macklemore tucker the guys that you're gonna leave open in that scenario didn't shoot it as well house of five was five to twelve he's pretty reliable um so but yeah i mean that's just a lot of shots for westbrook i love what he does for them in transition that's huge they've set it up so that they throw it to him and he has to make the decision but he needs to do better in a four and three and i think a big part of his problem is that he's just not the finisher at the basket that he used to be and that to me was the story of this game for the warriors defense is that in addition to getting the ball out of harden's hands when he killed them when he actually did attempt a shot at six of ten from three uh was that they didn't foul with the Rockets only shooting 14 to 16 free throws, and they also successfully contested at the rim and forced a bunch of misses. Yeah, Houston ended up 12 of 22 in the restricted area, and the number that I also thought was important, 19 from floater range. Remember, the the whole idea of Mori Ball is layups layups free throws and threes and they they weren't they were getting a lot of shots that weren't in those three buckets yeah it was a very old school kind of warriors performance of letting guys get penetration at least to float a range and even sometimes to the rim but then forcing them to miss at the rim and then of course juicing the transition game where the warriors had 18 fast break points so warriors have actually won three straight all at home but all pretty convincing victories and do you think that Houston should be doing anything different uh, against these traps of Harden? Not particularly. I, I think that the shots by the supporting players are going to go in at a higher rate. I mean, not every game is going to be game seven of the 2018 final of Western Conference finals. And Tucker one for four, Rivers one for five, Macklemore two for nine. That that kind of thing is, you know, it'll happen some nights, but you don't expect that to be the overall thing. And, you know, I, I, at Westbrook... I, I do have concerns about his ability, you know, that he's not going to be the the dynamo downhill in half court that he that he had, was early in his career. But in terms of a process standpoint, no, I mean, they've already had success on this. You talked about it with the Clippers game. Like we've it, it, they had trouble with it against Denver a few weeks ago and we kind of went, oh, what, what are they going to figure it out? And I think they've gotten a lot of it right. And getting Eric Gordon back will help a lot, too. But no, I, I think I think they're I think they have the right process. They just the results will be better on the aggregate than they were on this afternoon. 
couple things I can add. Number one, I think it was Jackson Frank who posted this on Twitter, a clip of Harden giving the ball up and basically just like walking across half court and never oh, getting that's, closer. Oh, that's driven me insane for like 10 years that he, than, he totally yeah. deactivates. Yeah. So if he could maybe just like, you know, run to where he's at the three point line as a spot up option when they're moving the ball around, because it's sort of like he gives the ball up and it's four on three, but then it becomes four on four very quickly. And he's not looking, he's not looking to get the ball back. Like, you know, if Steph Curry were getting double teamed at half court and giving it up, he's looking for a way to move off the ball and get the ball back. And yet James Harden is not the quickness that Steph Curry has relocating, but nonetheless like just be enough of a threat that once you give it up you might actually get it back and do something um so that's one that i could point to um i do think that this double teaming it's a it's a smarter strategy than say when they run the pick and roll and you double team harden with a big man because then you've got a four on three and there's no big back at the rim right this way you they're double teaming with us the nearest small generally off of westbrook a lot of times draymond was guarding westbrook a lot of the time but they would usually then send a small and so now you've got a four and three but two of those guys are draymond and collie stein and you're able to still contest plays at the rim um last question for you would teams be double teaming harden like this if chris paul were still a houston rocket i think they would start doing it more often but i don't think they'd keep doing it because it would be less successful yeah having one more three-point shooter as well really helps to spread the defense out right if it's westbrook and it's capella you those three guys can do a lot more work protecting the rim if there aren't as many shooters to to worry about but i mean that said like the rockets were they got what like 18 corner threes in this game you know I, i still think that houston overall the process is good and if you want to look at an issue it was their finishing around the rim but more importantly the defense is where they really struggled here um let me see if i have anything else on this one anything else you that came out to you well we haven't mentioned d'angelo russell's name at all so far and well i, no, I mentioned that he, he got it he was eight and nine from two. Oh yeah that's uh, right Okay. But yeah, we didn't talk about it, uh, him in detail. You're right. Yeah, and and I thought he was I thought he was fine. He had definitely had some moments, and he was better. I thought as a as a participant of the double teams than I expected. You know, like timing it up and everything like that. Maybe that's the type of thing he could do well. He had that nice steal late in the game that helped kind of seal it. But you know, I thought he did okay. And then offensively, my issues with him are still there. I mean, that 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 shouldn't really be a surprise. But he he was better better effectively from two in this one. Yeah, and Houston is not an athletic team. Uh, overall you know they've got thick guys but they don't have a ton of athleticism i mean westbrook has added some of that but you don't really see that as much from him on defense last thing i did have daniel house i he couldn't guard kevin durant yeah i get it a lot of guys can't guard kevin durant but like you know it was one of those things where it's like oh man this guy has no chance you know like the guy's just he's just ball racking him and he really struggled i thought against Kawhi, and he struggled against alec burks a couple of times in this game so i don't know if i trust him as an iso defender and uh, we'll see if it's Gordon out there when it counts. Let's do uh, the nightcap here. New Orleans, 112-100 over Denver. Their defense uh, has really stabilized. Of late, the Nuggets came in having won seven straight and bludgeoning teams on the offensive glass. We talked about that in the 15 and 60. Uh, as the, In the first six games of that streak, they had 37% offensive rebounds as a team. Pels shut that down to 26% and had 34% offensive rebounds of their own. And finally, really getting a few consistent games from Derek Favors still clearly not back in shade after the death of his mother from an explosiveness standpoint but just having an adult NBA center out there has really changed things a lot for this defense 
It really has. And I mean, it's allowed a lot of the other pieces of their defensive rotation to kind of fit better. You know, Drew Holiday's obviously a wonderful defender. I thought Lonzo has looked a little bit better on that end for me. Lonzo looked good actually against the Warriors too. And then he um, he had some moments. And then it, it has really, you know, just having a rim protector. It, it does take things away. And so in this one, there wasn't a huge free throw margin. It was eight. It was 18 to 12. It was in favor of the Nuggets, but it wasn't as large. The As you said, the, the offensive rebound margin. So the possession game being closer was another thing that helped that helped the Pelicans also being more effective from three-pointer you know they had they were plus 18 there because it was 18 made threes to 12 but getting the better defense helped make that possible yeah another thing that really was unbelievable in this game was Brandon Ingram 31 points seven of nine from three shooting them on the move this is a a career high in three-pointers made for Ingram he had two or three just coming off the screens one going to his right one going to his left as he flared off of it pretty deep three I mean if this guy is going to shoot like this and and we've got to start believing this is real here especially the way he shot it from the three-point line the aggressiveness that he's shown I mean Fred Vinson their shooting coach uh has really made a huge difference for Ingram it seems like and Ball as well I mean Ball had a little bit more in terms of flaws and he started off pretty rough this game but he hit two key ones in the fourth uh but Ingram I mean if he's going to shoot the ball like this he's just a major problem they ended up going with Jeremy Grant late to guard him rather than Millsap who was only 16 minutes in this game oddly enough uh and uh Ingram just uh was fantastic 36 minutes and 31 points it's really good to see that not only has he come back from that clotting issue but that he's really taken a step forward and this was uh probably the best game of his career all things considered especially when you consider how they defended and that they won in a big game on Christmas I also thought that Josh Hart played a nice game especially early when the Pelicans were yeah he he was closing the game he and Lonzo closed the game over Reddick yeah and and, and Josh Hart overall 16 points five of ten from the field four or five from three I think he had 10 points in the first quarter if, if memory serves and the Pelicans this is such a weird stretch because they're it's not just that they're missing a player it's that they're missing their long-term linchpin like that's the that's the way that they're thinking about Zion if, if he can stay healthy that's the way we're all thinking about Zion and so it's kind of like you're looking at everything it, it's a little bit like Garfield minus Garfield because you're thinking about how all this is going to fit but the part that it makes yeah, this a lot more compelling. Zion, Zion, are you saying Zion is like kind of the same shape as Garfield? Yeah, to an well? extent. That, a little bit, a little bit more explosive. Um, but yeah. but that's why Ingram shooting is so compelling here, and why it's so important because that was what we were concerned about. And and the ball dominance and some of the other stuff could end up being a factor. But if he can shoot threes, if he can shoot threes on the move, those concerns are a little bit a little bit quieter. And that's definitely a, a positive, and there are a lot of things that they're going to need to sort out. But David Griffin's job, to an extent, during this time, hopefully it's not too much longer, though it probably will be at least a little while longer, without Zion, is to figure out, well, who on this team is good enough, even without some of the fit identification, to be a part of the team long term. And it, you, it's hard to be much better for, for the Ingram part of this to have gone much better over the first two plus months. Total agreement there. A uh, little bit more on uh, Zion Williamson. George Sedano reporting during the game that they're targeting early January to start getting him into some five-on-five work he's been doing. Still, like, doesn't really sound like competitive work other than maybe a little one-on-one stuff. And it seems like part of the reason that he's taken so long to come back is they're almost, uh, and this is Aaron Nelson, the Suns, former trainer that David Griffin hired away, are almost trying to teach him how to run and walk differently. They even say when he walks wrong, they get on him about that. They're really trying to retrain his movement patterns, which I think is a great 
endeavor and to not bring him back until they can kind of get that fixed and he's not as at risk as much for injury I think is huge uh and you know they're not going anywhere this season why hurt your draft pick yeah you got season ticket holders who'd love to see him play and you'd love to see him with Drew and blah blah but uh I, I think this is more important to try to reduce his long-term injury risk and you know not something that you can really do until there's an injury so you can actually go to the guy and say like hey you know what like you need to make some changes here after you got injured um also noteworthy was drew holiday's performance he turned his pencil around and erased jamal murray who had eight points on two of ten in 28 minutes and had six steals in this game also uh six of the pelicans nine steals uh really just a outstanding work from holiday and when you if you have a guy who is not an elite athlete or cutter and is just gonna be trying to run off some screens or go pick and roll uh, like murray is uh, holiday can really really just swallow that guy up and that's why david griffin's gonna have a real challenging situation with with drew holiday because you could see him being a very positive part of the next great pelicans team but the timeline and yeah you kind of have to have a conversation with holiday about what because he's only a couple years from free agency what he wants there because i could see teams trying to beat down their door if they can have enough matching salary because holiday on a playoff team we've already seen that work like yeah he was such a huge part of that sweep of the of the blazers two years ago and yeah, well he he'll be eligible for an extension in fact i think he is already uh now maybe he would decline that player option that he has in 21 and, and maybe you would do offer him the biggest extension that you can which would be an additional four years i mean that's that's a lot uh but you know the, the i think he can still a guy can still contribute as he gets older uh but you offer him that extension this summer and then if he doesn't take it then you gotta think very seriously about trading him obviously there's yeah. some talk that they might consider that already and i mean drew was drafted 10 years ago but he's still 29 he'll turn 30 during the right before next offseason for the Nuggets, I mean, we've talked a lot of Pels here. Nikola Jokic, another pretty underwhelming game, negative 13, 23 points, 8 of 20 from the field, and just hasn't been able to impose his will as a scorer this year. I and mean, you just don't see him getting double teamed the way teams had to do last year. And that obviously unlocked so much for him as a passer. Only four assists and five turnovers for him as well. I mean, he had a no look as the game was slipping away. That was just a, a complete no hooper. But I mean, it, it's interesting, Danny. I mean, we haven't seen just those highlight passes from him as much this year for i don't know what the reason for that is um well and and with Jokic, there can be a couple of different ways that you can see his impact and one of the other ones is getting to the free throw line and we didn't see that in this game either so it's not like he was they were sacrificing the assist because he was getting fouled and getting in position we're seeing that part of it as well and I also was, you know, not not my favorite game from from Gary Harris, at least uh, Gary Harris offensively. And then RPM slash Raptor darling Will Barton had that crazy block, which was just stunning at the time. But overall, I wasn't super impressed with his game. Yeah, and uh, he had to run a lot of pick and roll in the second unit. We talked about on the 15 and 60 how he's not been as effective there. Uh, and negative 24, he may not actually be one of the best 10 players in basketball when uh the next round of those come out uh after this one negative 24 and 33 minutes it, it was really the nuggets bench that kept it respectable for them in the end um michael porter jr played six minutes i think all of it was in the first half and was actually plus six but was not brought back in in the second as it was kind of slipping away uh, we saw more from Beasley with, with 22 minutes in that little backup wing slash forward roulette. Uh, Grant, we mentioned he played down the stretch instead of Millsap. So I, it, it's just 
it's so funny to me. I mean, every time I see the Nuggets, I just catch them on bad nights a lot of times, but they always seem underwhelming to me, even as they're winning games. Um, yeah, their defense has been really good. It, it wasn't that great in this game, both the rebounding and giving up 43 three-point attempts and 42% three-point shooting. A lot of it was due to the double teams on the ball with Jokic in pick and roll. Uh, they were getting the ball out of those traps, getting it to three-point shooters on the weak side. Then finally, towards the end, they switched up and had Jokic drop back, which he normally doesn't do. But against this team of pick-and-roll ball handlers, you don't have anyone who's just going to come in and go right at Jokic at the rim. But Holiday just hit a mid-range jumper to ice it when they belatedly switched things up. I mean, I, I don't know that... I, I think you can't complain about the defensive strategy overall because they've gotten such great defensive play out of a pretty limited defensive roster in a lot of ways. But that strategy still is going to be exploitable in the end. All right, last one, Boston and Toronto. This was a total blowout. Boston led by 20 most of the second half. And Jalen Brown, maybe the best game of his career, 30 points, 10 of 13 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. And he did most of that damage in three quarters. Yeah, and I thought that especially when Boston's offense is humming the way that it was in this game, to their immense credit, obviously, but also with the the Raptors being shorthanded, Pascal Siakam most notably did not play in this one. Then the the Raptors just didn't have the horses. They they didn't have the ability to to kind of keep it close. Boston putting up a one twenty offensive rating, and Boston is a far better, far too good of defense to give up that sort of rating to the team that Toronto had out there on the floor. Yeah, back to Brown. He got started early with some three-pointers, five of seven from three, and then really got into his isolation game for a couple of pretty snazzy mid-rangers once he was hot late in the third. Again, he showed off uh, that patience. He had one beautiful drive where he goes into the lane, and now that he's not going a billion miles an hour, he slows down enough that he can actually process the passes that are available to him. He had a beautiful layoff uh, for Ennis Cantor. Celtics really hurt the wraps on the offensive glass had well over 30% offensive rebounds for most of the game. Cantor was big there uh, with his three offensive rebounds. Tatum and Tice also were huge there. Toronto just has never been a good defensive rebounding team in this era. And with Gasol out, some of the guys that they're playing, like Boucher, who did have 24 points, uh, a lot of it late, and Hollis Jefferson just aren't going to be able to deal with someone like Cantor on the glass. And then Toronto, not dynamic enough in the pick and roll game to take advantage of Cantor enough. They did some in the second quarter, but not enough. So uh, can you explain to me why Patrick McCaw starts and plays 32 minutes for this team? It doesn't help when Norm Powell and, and Pascal Siakam are both unavailable. But no, I mean, they have they have other guys that I would... Like, I mean, like why wouldn't they just start Terrence Davis? Like McCall. Maybe, maybe they so need bad. his. Maybe they need Davis's offense on the second unit. They think that they just they. I, I, I would. I, guess I would. So, I would. But so how? Or fine. But still play Davis more than I mean. McCaw, yeah, play yeah. more than twenty two minutes. I agree with you. Yeah, McCaw. And I mean, it was it was garbage time for the past four, the last few minutes. But McCaw just like he struggles so badly to make a decision. His rookie year, he actually looked okay making decisions. He seemed like a smart player, but had a couple of open looks where he just hesitated and then missed it really badly at the three he was too small physically it got really overwhelmed uh, by some of the wings uh, starting at the threes and not enough size to guard them 
I just don't really understand what he brings. He was a team worst negative 22 in those 32 minutes. I mean, who's ever gotten like more chances that they didn't really seem to deserve than Pat McCraw? I mean, I was high on him early on. I thought he would be a real find. But I mean, going back from first that offer sheet from the Cavs that got him out of Golden State and then the Raptors signed him last year for some reason to a guarantee for the rest of the year and then gave him a two-year, $8 million contract fully guaranteed. And I just, I really don't understand it at this point. I mean, it's not going to hurt them because they weren't going to use cap space this summer anyway but still just very weird um what else you got on this one noting that I remember I was gone for a while it was it was good to see Gordon Hayward out there on the floor he had some nice moments in that in that first half when Boston really built things out actually in the third quarter as well when they when they pushed the lead and basically ended the game like seeing him and continuing to f- see how Brad Stevens figures out this center rotation Tice 24 minutes and his canner 18 and I I, I still think that, you know, great. It's, it's weird because the Raptors have been one of the best teams, but they're missing a few important players this time to see how that works out. I've brought this up a lot with the Clippers and probably should bring it up more with the Celtics that if they use that one move to shore up their biggest weakness, it could really help. I thought that there was one point at which it looked like maybe Toronto could get back into it. And that was when Nick Nurse went to the press to start the fourth. We talked about that in the 15 and 60. They get back within 14, get a steal at half court. McCaw makes a bad decision to force up a shot. And then he gets back on defense and his man is Brad Wanamaker. And he just lets Wanamaker dribble past him thinking that like, the press was still on or that wasn't his man or something and then he just tries to sprint back and he ends up just fouling Wanamaker so they could have cut it to 14 he made a bad decision and then he goes back and fouls him and right after that the Celtics went back up 20 um impressive level of preparation for the Celtics and Brad Stevens uh, when Toronto went zone they had a number of nice looks where they were screening the center in the zone getting guys along the baseline open uh, right under the basket uh, for good looks they definitely were ready for that they were ready pretty well for the press although nurse didn't stay with it for very long and they did force that one turnover uh og ananobi still is a very good isolation defender they got almost nothing against him in isolation all game kemba walker a name that we have not mentioned yet shot it pretty well uh, the celtics love to set these screens for him way up by half court and the point of that is if you're in any kind of a drop coverage now you can get walker getting some acceleration and getting separation from the the initial screen screen and the man who got slowed down by the screen so that he can then get into a three before that guy can recover you set the pick lower walker can't accelerate as much to get away from the screen and can still have to deal with that rear view contest so that was a big part of him going five of ten from three and that ability to hit three-point jump shots off the pick and roll is an element that can cause schematic problems for say teams like the bucks um and walker 22 points uh, overall really efficient night and I think uh, Gordon Hayward looked pretty good uh, coming back. There had been he had a third cortisone shot to alleviate what was revealed as nerve issues in that left foot. He does believe, in fact, that it's related to that gruesome injury that he suffered a couple of years ago. But he looked okay in this one. Uh, very efficient night with uh, 14 points in 26 minutes. Let's talk a uh, little trade action here. Uh, first chance to, to talk about that since we got a light schedule this week in terms of number of episodes. The Utah Jazz acquire Jordan Clarkson for Dante Exum and a couple of second rounders. Those picks are, Danny? 
San Antonio's 2022 second and Golden State's 2023 second. Yeah, those might not be bad picks. Uh, yeah, but, might not be. And this uh now the third consecutive season that these teams have traded with one another. Remember, there was the big blockbuster that brought Jay Crowder to Utah in 2018. Then last year, Kyle Korver was brought to the Jazz and now Clarkson. And the Jazz took off when they got Korver last year. This year, I think Clarkson can really help them. Their second unit has struggled immensely. They also would have a possibility with full bird rights of re-signing Clarkson should they want to in what should be a relatively tepid free agent market. They also get off of $9 million of Dante Exum, $9.6 million to be exact, for next season, where with having to re-sign Royce O'Neal, potentially re-sign Clarkson, and maybe try to use their middle exception, which should get a pretty good player next year, they needed a little bit of extra breathing room room under the tax uh, as of now assuming Mike Conley opts in which eh, I think he might to 34 million next year they will have about a 30 million dollar buffer including their draft pick to do those three things that, that I mentioned. So I think this is a pretty good piece of business for the Jazz. Even if you look at Exum as just dead salary for next year, the price of two second round picks of, you know, that are a little further out might be good, might be bad. That's about right even for getting off that amount of salary for next year. And then you also throw in that they get a player. Not too bad. I, yeah, I, I, like I, I, I like this trade more for the Jazz than for the Cavs. And part of the reason why is also because while Utah added, I think it's about 3.6 million in salary for this season that doesn't matter at all to them because they're well under the tax and so for Cleveland that's more important because they were butting up against the tax a little bit more they actually remember Cleveland didn't use their mid-level exception this year because they were right up on it this is the type of deal that led to the the idea that I had had which is that they should use their use their mid-level and then duck down afterwards but I get why they didn't do that and well and and, and quickly on that aspect too they were only at 14 players and in a rebuilding season now they've got about five million in room they can uh, sign another guy cycle some guys through uh and have plenty of breathing space uh, under the tax which they were not going to be going into right they were not going to be going into it and while they're we don't know what else cleveland is going to do because they have, still have a bunch of expiring salaries henson del vadova tristan thompson most notable among them and they could even do a kevin love trade if the right offer comes comes to the table but getting that little breathing room is a nice thing and for the for the jazz I, I wrote about this in my piece for the athletic that they didn't have the time really to wait on XM Clarkson is a a, more, a better player for what they're looking for right now and while there is a chance to me still that XM works out I mean I've I, I'm not nearly as high on him as I was back when I had him number one in his class in 2014 but I do still think there's a theory. I, I compared it to the idea of Markel Fultz, and I don't think Exum has quite that level of physical capability or just like Fultz's dynamism with the ball in his hands. But that idea of his biggest positive on offense being transition and then being a, a capable defender, like that sort of an idea could actually be really useful for the Cavs in a bunch of different configurations with Sexton or Garland. But the Jazz don't have the ability to wait that out. They, they're a, they're a talented team right now. And remember with Clarkson, even though he's an imperfect player and I could definitely see him driving Quinn Snyder crazy, that if it works out, having full bird rights on Clarkson could end up being useful too because they can end up just, they can sign him to any amount that they want. And if, if things work out, they have that capacity. And if they don't, then you just walk away after one year, you cleared 9.6 million off of the 2020-21 books. Yeah, 
for Cleveland, maybe part of this is about the player. Exum working back from yet another injury, the partially torn patellar tendon. When he's played, has not looked the same athletically with that explosion of the basket, but he immediately becomes the best perimeter defender and best perimeter passer on this team. Uh, now, he can't knock down a shot to save his life, which is kind of a problem, but maybe the Cavs will try to rehabilitate him, see if he can do anything. I'm thinking of him as mostly dead salary at this point, especially when you consider the injury concerns, but he'll have a chance in Cleveland, which he wasn't going to get in Utah. So maybe that's part of the thought is that they wanted to get him in their system see what they had he has a chance to given how young he is to to maybe hit although like you i've uh i've given up hope uh, mostly here uh the jazz also making a number of other interesting moves they signed rajon tucker out of the g league uh, a scoring guard i'm not that familiar with him also signed Juwan morgan out of their g league program they also have Jarrell brantley from there as well uh on a two-way and so to do all that they waived jeff green surprising move green has been terrible this year in terms of his shooting but a surprise to see him just straight out waved and maybe the thought was that he wasn't going to play as much that they're going to try and get brantley uh, and morgan sometime that they are going to try and uh play bogdanovich more at the four george yang and just they felt they had better options than jeff green and so uh, this might just be doing him a favor and releasing him and seeing if uh there's anyone that wants to pick him up i mean maybe uh, a houston uh, if they uh you know that they have their own tax concerns about just claiming him or having him come there but you know they maybe even houston would say hey once we inevitably wait until the trade deadline pay as much of Gerald green and nene's salaries as we can and then trade those guys uh, uh, with a cash sweetener we can take you on but I, I imagine green will get another chance somewhere i mean lebron james is still in the league i think jeff green will get another chance somewhere <laughs> I, they only played one year together i don't know it just feels like a natural fit uh I, no i think the lakers have enough power forwards i i would predict that he would not so all right who do you let, let's play a game who do you think actually needs him hmm raps could use a body right now but they have but they have a lot of bodies that i think they at least sometimes like i could totally see him just signing in washington again just so yeah i could oh, see that too portland portland back up oh portland, yeah portland That's, except that neil yeah. o'shea doesn't sign forwards but yeah that makes sense well well he's, he's signed a few uh when he hasn't had any now but yeah That's i think true. yeah he can't possibly give them worse production than they've been getting getting at the backup four already so that that might be a a thought there yeah um, the, i think i think i think that's the winner yeah. the leader in the clubhouse yeah i mean there's a lot of teams that i think will at least take a chance in phoenix uh well especially because he has a rep as a solid vet so then teams that are a little bit lower in the pecking order would have some interest okc has nothing at the four minnesota gallo yeah i mean there's utah i mean i don't know if they have an embarrassment of riches at that position but he's gonna land somewhere well it opens up more space for george and yang front of the pod <laughs> yeah maybe so uh couple other news items that we need to hit uh i had a nice little twitter exchange with mark cuban yesterday uh talking about the tournament uh his tweet was so dumb uh after mark stein reported that teams might get an extra draft pick uh, as an incentive for winning the mid-season tournament his tweet so dumb what will teams that are in the tax going out do i think that was a typo tank the tournament because they don't want the pick or teams trying to build cap room be forced to trade it draft and stash which so my response to him was uh, that it was laughable that teams would actively try to avoid getting that pick uh there are plenty of things you can do you could also just not make the pick if you wanted to or you could non-tender the guy the idea that it would actually be a liability to have that pick was 
ridiculous. I, I, I'm impressed with your restraint that you didn't do a $20. I wanted a peanut. Yeah, yeah it can be exchanged for, for goods and services. Yeah, uh, but it, it, he noted that he probably could have said that a little bit better. But he, d- he did know. I think what he was trying to say is just that it wasn't enough of an incentive. And, you know, I certainly understand that. But, you know, I think it's not the end of the world if not every team tries. I think the NBA, this is kind of for the teams that aren't necessarily going to try that hard. So it's like just something else that you can win. That's something that they... uh are focused on um so there's also a report that a million dollars per player and 1.5 million split among the coaches would be a pool for the champion of the tournament league is definitely trying to push this i i think it'd be fun why not like it'd give us more to talk about the regular season's kind of boring now seth made the point of like hey people already devalue the regular season so let's come up with something else that'll devalue the regular season <laughs> which i get that but hopefully this can be uh as we talked about a gateway drug for the owners to actually reduce the length of the regular season this would uh uh, move it down to 78 there is also a report that the final four reseed is something that teams uh are not that high on read we'll see east teams who want an easy pass to the finals uh and it seems like the play-in tournament tournament for the seven to eight seeds that's the one that's probably gonna have the most momentum it, it seems like as of now uh anything you want to comment on there with the schedule i i really hope the the final four reseed happens i've I actually nearly wrote a piece arguing for it and maybe now i have to do that again because i i thought it was a, a, a no-brainer enough that it would happen um it, it makes so much sense to me to build up a good nba finals and i mean talk about ratings and everything else i think that would be a really a really positive thing and you know i'm not the biggest supporter of the in-season tournament i think there are a couple of a couple of weird you know risks with it and and the idea of players getting hurt in those co- sorts of games could be a problem but especially if they're going to do a corresponding, at least sort of corresponding reduction in the regular season, I'm far more okay with it. And I'm, I'm interested in how the timing on it can work and other things and throwing a million dollars per, like the, the, the financial rewards are getting closer to the level that I thought would be necessary to make that work. Yeah, and Woj reporting that there's still a thought that players, uh, superstars aren't going to care. They'd rather just have the rest. But my response was they would like to win a million dollars for their teammate who that's all he makes this season or at least appear like they are trying to win it for their teammates, right? You know, that's this kind of like fake camaraderie thing that some guys really seem to push. Like it it would be a great storyline for them. Uh, So uh, that's something that occurred to me. I've got a few more notes here uh, on the G League Showcase um, but first, some injury news. Matisse Thibel is going to be out with a right knee sprain and bone bruise. Those bone bruises can be tricky. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, but he's considered out indefinitely. Uh, he hyperextended his knee late in the fourth quarter against the Wizards a couple days ago. Sam Amick reporting that Dennis Robertson, Kawhi's uncle, asked team officials with both the Lakers and the Raptors for extras outside of the CBA, such as part ownership of the team a private plane that would be available at all times, a house, and a guaranteed amount of off-court endorsement money if Kawhi Leonard signed there. All those uh, would be massive CBA violations were they to occur. Certainly there are thoughts that there may be some under-the-table stuff uh, that's always happened with uh, a few franchises in the past, uh, but there's no indication that those requests were acceded to by the Clippers. Supposedly the league investigated and found that that was not the case, but a, a league memo noting that only certified agents are now authorized to negotiate with teams, and those agents, of course, have to pass an exam saying what the CBA says is legal, and basically this is a reaction to Dennis Robertson, his uncle, 
doing these negotiations uh, with teams but not knowing what the cba actually allows you to do uh, a non-injury note that we should talk about um we unfortunately probably not have enough film to break down james wiseman because he is done at memphis was dealing with some eligibility issues and just decided to leave i completely understand it from his perspective it's sad from ours but i i totally get it well and i think part of it might be because all these other dudes are out too. Cole Anthony now is out with a knee injury, an undisclosed severity. I think it's a bruised foot for LaMelo Ball. RJ Hampton is out in Australia as well. So those are potentially your top four picks. Anthony Edwards is the only guy still playing who's being reasonably talked about in the top five right now. So Ethan did a piece on this after the G League showcase of nobody really knows who the hell the number one pick should be or is going to be. It's starting to be a little reminiscent of 2013, but nobody has wowed anybody. And so maybe for Wiseman, it's, hey, you know what? You're a top five pick right now. You come back, you get hurt, or you just play bad. It's not like all these other guys are out there playing and they're going to jump ahead of you so hey just you're gonna be a top five pick regardless just shut it down i totally understand that uh that viewpoint frankly um so yeah we're not gonna have a lot of film on a lot of guys <laughs> as it turns out but neither are these nba teams that's part of why you need to do as much work as you can before these players get into college a couple other things that i want to talk about from the showcase mark stein uh, reported that dallas is not interested i asked around of who might be interested in iguodala it seems like that golden state second that dallas is talking about that's probably too much for just a total rental pretty much everyone agrees that it's lakers and now everyone always seems to think someone's going to the lakers take that with a grain of salt maybe but uh but that certainly iguodala is not going to stay anywhere that's not on the west coast after this so to give up a second just to get him for this year doesn't really seem to make that much sense um the G League is going to be unionizing, potentially. They had some meetings with the NBPA there. I haven't heard if they made any progress yet. There's a number of difficulties involved there. I think one of them is just the players are so constantly changing in the G League to just even get a membership is difficult. One of the things that was talked about is, well, what? how can you negotiate like, okay, you have a union, but what leverage do you have in, in a negotiation? And the one thing that comes to mind is more team control. So perhaps you would say, all right, you're, we're going to pay the rank and file G League guy. You know, they're making 35000 a year or whatever it is now. You know, we'll bump that up to sixty five. But now if you're on our G League team... We essentially, you can only sign with us almost the same way as like a two-way guy, except you can't get brought up the way a two-way guy can onto the roster. What would you think of that, Danny? It could work. Hmm. I haven't really, I hadn't really given it much thought. I think you need to process it a little longer. Yeah. Huh. It, uh, with it. And to me, that's good for your career G-leaguer. Like if you're a player. Yeah, who never, I guess it would be. Yeah, yeah. You're a player who never has a chance. Of, and I've had more time to think about this than you because I just brought it up. But you're a player who never uh, has a chance of making it in the league, but you're just going to play in the G League for eight years. Maybe that's like more realistic, especially considering that's getting paid for half a year and you're getting, you know, most of your hotel and food and stuff. Like if you think about that as a living, that makes it more viable. Uh, but if you are a player who actually can get on a team, it's already, I think the two ways are reducing the number of players who can get called up. You know, if you're just stuck on a two-way, you might've gotten called up by another team, but now you can't do that. You're just stuck playing for a team, even if you're not getting much of a chance. So this would exacerbate that problem. I think it could lead to some agents, uh, I know one in particular I'm pretty sure would not be would be a lot less interested in placing his guys who actually have a chance in the G League in that circumstance but 
you know, there's not a ton of other places for someone like that to go if you haven't already established yourself in a European career. Um, I also asked around on the one free throw thing. I mean, just watching it, you know, so this is one free throw uh, for two points until you get to the end of the game. Just watching it, I didn't really notice that much difference. My maiden concern is that guys would get too tired. There are a few people who didn't like it just due to the variance that it presented, but it, it wasn't really something that I thought was any great reasons for not liking it. But it generally was just, I think, offended the traditionalists and some people. Uh, I also asked people uh, in and around the G League my idea of reducing games to maybe 35 so that these guys can actually have more time I talked about this with Hollinger they'd actually have more time to work out to practice together not after these brutal travel days eat right all that stuff actually really develop more than just playing a bunch of games but most people in the G League were not really in favor of that they thought that a chance to develop actually develop in games and play more games is more important uh, another person said that coaches just always want to have these guys around on the roster nba coaches and so they don't want to assign guys down to the g league that often and so if you can't assign him down and say yeah he's going to get to play three games over the next seven days that coaches would be more loath to assign a guy down on the other hand i think it could be more realistic if that guy could actually get a couple of practices in before playing with the g league team instead of just showing up that day and playing and he has no idea what the hell they're doing and he doesn't know his teammates at all so um Definitely was some resistant. I thought the, uh, I mean, I like the idea, so uh, I would say this, that I didn't think that those were that good of ideas. Are, are, would you be in favor, Danny, of reducing the G League schedule? I know you're you're so into this question, but hey, you know, you're in the weeds if you're listening to Dunked On here. Uh, broadly speaking, yeah, I think that could be could be beneficial for, for a couple different reasons. So yeah, I, I could see it, but I do think that the NBA concern about them getting enough reps is, is, is a genuine one, and that might be, you know, considering the NBA teams have G League affiliates, that might be a a more pressing concern than you and I think it is. Last thing I asked about is this is something we've talked about previously with the Australian Next Stars program, kind of how it works financially, where basically the Australian League doesn't make enough money. They're doing better this year. It's been good for the league, but they don't make enough money really for it to make financial sense for these guys to get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars who are coming down there as Americans. Uh, now they're getting some of the best prospects, so that helps. But, you know, like a Terrence Ferguson back then, for example, where he wasn't even necessarily contributing to winning for the team. Um, so the way it works is their contracts have big buyouts when they get drafted. It's still below the point where the player would have to kick in some of his own money, but it's about 750000 I think, this year is the maximum amount that NBA teams can contribute before the player has to kick in some from their contract. And so the amount of those buyouts, I, I was able to confirm this, that those buyouts are generally right at that NBA maximum. And maybe it's a, a matter of some negotiation depending on where the player is picked, but that's basically how it works is they make that money back, they develop the guy, and then the NBA basically pays them for developing him for a year. And that's how they make money. It's really more of a buy the asset hold it and then put it in their contract that they to get out of it the nba team has to pay and they up until now have been willing to do that for a guy that they're making that big uh, of an investment in so uh and i might even guess that the reason it took ferguson so long to sign his rookie contract was the thunder did not want to pay uh, as much as his buyout was i that's more me surmising but that, that's my guess so um it was, it was good to actually get that confirmed though i'd long suspected that that's how it worked 
Um, all right, anything to talk about before we go here? Yeah, we should mention the podcast that we're going to do on Thursday night. We're going to do a gamer podcast, but it is going to be on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Duncan And we're trying out something new to see to see how people like it. And we, we were going to be watching the games anyway. So it, it was a good little time to try it out during the holidays. So if you want that for your Friday morning commute or Friday afternoon or evening, whatever you want to do, or weekend lawn mowing, if people still do that in the winter, some places in this wonderful world. So you could check that out and um i have the piece breaking down the trade for the athletic went through the financial ramifications and all that kind of stuff and and some of the on-court things uh there as well all right uh we will be back tomorrow with that aforementioned patreon till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.